Welcome to Econ Talk, coming to you from the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts of George Mason University. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or feedback, please send me an email at roberts at gmu.edu. You can find more EconTalk at www.econtalk.org, along with readings and links related to this podcast. My topic for today is intermittent explosive disorder. That's either a newly discovered mental condition or simply a fancy bit of psychiatric jargon for getting really angry. In this podcast, I take a look at the science and economics behind this issue. How reliable is the study that purports to identify this mental condition? Is it science or is it simply a manufactured malady to encourage people to use the services of psychiatrists? A study came out earlier this month finding that as many as 7.3%, I love that decimal point, so accurate, 7.3, not 7, not 8, 7.3% of Americans may be suffering from intermittent explosive disorder. That's 16 million of us. That's uh, pretty frightening. The day after the study was released, there were almost 400 news stories on Google, on Google News, uh, describing that study. And the original study was published by the Archives of General Psychiatry, a very fancy scientific journal, and it was heralded as a possible this, – this new disorder was heralded as a possible explanation for road rage and spousal abuse and other forms of violence and anger. Here's what the Associated Press story uh, had to say about it. People think it's bad behavior and that you just need an attitude adjustment, but what they don't know is that there's a biology and cognitive science to this, said Dr. Emil Kakaro, chairman of psychiatry at the University of Chicago's medical school. So it's not just people losing control, getting mad, losing it, as we say, but it's a scientific biological disorder. Um, as if a switch is on the on position in your body and not mine or vice versa. But what exactly is intermittent explosive disorder? According to that Associated Press story, intermittent explosive disorder involves multiple outbursts that are way out of proportion to the situation. So it's not just getting mad. That yeah, you know, we know we're angry. We know that's human. That's normal. This is getting angry out of proportion. What is that exactly? I mean, here, here are a couple things I, I thought about. I was watching Walk the Line the other night, the Johnny Cash movie, story of his life. And there's a scene in that movie where Johnny Cash has been rejected by June Carter for about the nth time, and he loses it. He, he takes his guitar, which is worth hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars, and he smashes it. But he's not done. He's still mad, and then he rips a sink off the wall. And then, for excitement, he takes a few drugs, pops a few pills, and uh, washes it down with some beer. Now, would you call that an incident of intermittent – I love that intermittent thing. It's intermittent. So if you're not raging around, you're not – you could be suffering from it, but you're just not showing it. But is that incident an example of intermittent explosive disorder? Was that rage out of proportion? You, well, it's certainly not an appropriate way to behave. You could say, is it normal though? I don't know. The woman of your dreams rejects you. You get really mad. Is that out of proportion? I mean, is it, would you say it's, he's reacting only to the fact that he's been rejected by the woman of his dreams? Or would you say that's a big deal? And of course he's angry and furious. Not an appropriate way perhaps to express it, but is that intermittent explosive disorder? 
Or what about golf? It reminds me of a, an imaginary ad for MasterCard. State-of-the-art plutonium golf clubs, $3,800. 27 years of one-on-one -on -one lessons that do nothing for your golf score, $42,000. Tossing your clubs into the lake after driving the seventh ball in a row into the woods, priceless. Maybe all golfers suffer from intermittent explosive disorder. Most golfers I know, uh, amateurs all, uh, do occasionally uh, lose it on the golf course. I had a friend I used to golf with, and uh, another friend said about him, he's so even-keeled on the golf course. It's so impressive. He's so calm. And I said, well, he should be. He shoots in the high 70s and low 80s. If I shot like that instead of in the low 100s, uh, 100 teens, maybe 120 on a bad day, I'd be more even-keeled too. Now, I've never thrown my clubs into the lake or broken a club, but a lot of golfers uh, have. Uh, I don't think golfers suffer from intermittent explosive disorder in any proportion out of the rest of the population, but who knows? Uh, a former colleague of mine at Washington University in St. Louis, a physicist, once asked me in an embarrassing moment, do economists know anything? Do they know anything? Do they really know anything? Kind of an awkward question, don't you think? I, I paused, wasn't quite sure how to respond, slightly embarrassed. You know, being in the social sciences, not quite as prestigious and scientific as the real sciences, or as they're called, the physical sciences. And I stalled for time and said, well, what do you mean by no? He said, well, you know, like physicists know things. Like what, I asked. Well, you know, like the gravitational constant, where Mars is going to be on July 17th, 2018 at 11 a.m. in the morning. I thought, well, we really don't know anything like that. We talk about it sometimes. We might say, oh, you know, the, the demand elasticity, the price elasticity of, uh, for, for gasoline is less than one. It's inelastic. But we understand that any precise estimate of a price elasticity or for gasoline or shoes or butter, we're not really very confident about that. Estimate. It's an estimate. We're good at general directions of things. We have some, I think, insights into incentives and markets and spontaneous order and other important concepts, but we don't know things in economics the way physics or chemists know things. I also thought about my late father in law, David Kupfer, who was a biochemist who wrote over 150 scientific articles. Most of them, maybe all of them, on cytochrome P450. Kind of a narrow field, it seems, but cytochrome P450 is an incredibly important protein within the cell that helps metabolize various uh, chemicals and drugs, toxins, and other things. And it's incredibly important, and he studied it relentlessly, and there's thousands of people who study, study that protein relentlessly around the world, people around the world who study that protein relentlessly, and they understand something about it. They don't understand everything, but every paper that's written on that adds to our knowledge in, the way, in a way that social science often, unfortunately, doesn't. And where does psychiatry fall into that? Is it a real science or is it kind of a fake science? Do they really know anything? Does this study of intermittent explosive disorder advance our knowledge 
of human behavior or brain chemistry? Well, to answer that question, to answer that question, you'd want to know something about how exactly did the study define intermittent explosive disorder? If there's a cognitive science to it, a biology, as one of the co-authors of the study, Dr. Kakaro, claimed in that Associated Press story, surely there's some scientific basis for the conclusion that 7.3% of Americans suffer from this disorder. In fact, at one point in one study, in one of the reports on the study, uh, Dr. Kakaro referred to intermittent explosive disorder as being more common than better known mental illnesses such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, implying that intermittent explosive disorder was a mental illness, something that is presumably biological. So how did the study find out that 7.3% of us, perhaps, as many as 7.3% of us suffer from this, this disorder? Did they take a tissue sample or a brain scan or a blood test? Well, actually, they did a face-to-face -face survey of over 9,000 Americans. And face-to-face -face in, in the study and in the reports that I saw about it, I think it was supposed to convey a more scientific approach. It wasn't a mail-in survey or an internet survey, a phone survey. It was face-to-face. -face, but as we'll see, face-to-face -face has its own problems. But the survey was face-to-face, -face, and respondents were asked the following questions. I discovered the actual questions in a story uh, written on the website WebMD by, uh, by one Miranda Hitty, who was the only reporter that I saw who actually told her readers what the study actually did as opposed to what it concluded. And according to that story, survey questions included how often participants had experienced anger attacks in which they, and now there are three choices coming, lost control and broke or smashed something worth more than a few dollars, lost control and hit or tried to hurt someone, lost control and threatened to hit or hurt someone. So those are the three measures. Any one of those three would be an example of intermittent explosive disorder. Lost control and broke or smashed something worth more than a few dollars. That would be the Johnny Cash guitar sync episode or the golf clubs and the like. Lost control and hit or tried to hurt someone. That would be you know violence or attempted violence. And then the more elusive, lost control and threatened to hit or hurt someone. Threatened to hit or hurt someone. Now, what exactly does that mean, threatened? So if you get really mad at someone and yell, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Is that intermittent explosive disorder or is that an idiomatic expression that has come to mean I'm really angry with you? How would you answer those questions sitting face to face with an interviewer? Well. One conclusion you might draw from a face-to-face -face survey is that intermittent explosive disorder is underestimated. It's really much greater than 7.3% because it might be hard to reveal to a stranger interviewing you that you've lost control and hurt someone or lost control and, say, thrown your golf clubs in the lake or lost control and screamed violently at somebody. So one conclusion might be that intermittent explosive disorder is actually underestimated by this study. The other possibility is that it is overestimated. Because I could imagine having trouble answering those questions. Not really that scientific, the phrase lost control. What does that mean exactly? Does it mean really angry? 
Does it mean blindly raging against someone such that you – I don't know what. So you could imagine a person being surveyed and being asked, have you lost control, and asking the questioner, well, what do you mean by lost control? Now, I wonder what the person administering the survey is supposed to say in response to that. There are usually instructions in these kind of surveys. I pulled up the original study, and I didn't find that. But I wonder what the survey designers told the people administering the survey they should respond if a respondent is unsure as to the meaning of lost control or the meaning of threatened. Would they encourage, perhaps, the respondents to be more liberal in their definition of lost control, less liberal, narrow, wide? I don't know. So it's not the most scientific technique to ask someone, have you lost control? And if you threaten someone, what exactly does that mean? Either way, 7.3% of the people evidently in the study responded at least once to those with at least one of those uh, conditions. So what should be done about it? Well, according to the Associated Press story, Kokaro said the disorder involves inadequate production or functioning of serotonin, a mood-regulating and behavior-inhibiting brain chemical. Treatment with antidepressants, including those that target serotonin receptors in the brain, is often helpful, along with behavior therapy akin to anger management, Kakaro said. So we need a two-pronged approach, according to the study author, one of the authors of the study. We need drugs. Uh, and we need therapy. I don't know how effective those things are or would be. Interesting to find out. I'm a skeptic about the virtues of anger management therapy. I know how hard it is to change behavior of human beings. Uh, drugs are probably more effective, although I don't know in this case whether these particular drugs, serotonin and others, would be, or others would be uh, things that add serotonin or other antidepressant drugs would be uh, useful. And it's kind of amusing in a different story in the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, Dr. Kakaro took a slightly different approach. He's, according to the Sun-Times, intermittent explosive disorder likely is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, excessive amounts of the chemicals that trigger outbursts and not enough of the chemicals that inhibit outbursts, said Dr. Emil Kakaro, an IED expert who co-authored the study. These people aren't jerks, he said. They have a real problem. Intermittent expressive dis excuse me. Intermittent explosive disorder can be treated with antidepressants such as Prozac and Zoloft. In about 70% of cases, the drugs give patients a longer fuse before they blow up. The drugs are, quote, reasonably effective, unquote. Excuse me. The drugs are reasonably effective, but not a magic bullet, Kakaro said. The Sun Times story continued. Patients also need behavioral therapy to control their anger. For example, when they feel they're about to explode, patients should take a timeout by perhaps walking around the block, Kakaro said. So that's an interesting perspective. Either we need to uh, have anger management therapy or take more therapy or take more walks around the block or count to 10 more often. I, I counsel uh, friends when very angry about a perceived or actual injustice to uh, sleep on it. Uh, that's a piece of advice I have heard from others that I've found very useful in my life. Uh, it's cheaper than anger management therapy, but walking around the block or counting to 10 also works uh, very well. My, um, but, but we definitely need more drugs, according to the uh, study authors, prescribed, of course, by psychiatrists. Um, 
this is fake science. Uh, it's morally and intellectually bankrupt. It's an excuse to help run people's lives using uh, pharmaceuticals, which uh, which psychiatrists are very positive about, not surprisingly. Uh, if you think about it carefully, if you think about people reading those stories, it's hard to remember that this is really a totally made-up disorder. A set of questions was asked in a survey, and people were asked to respond to those questions, and a disorder was created. We have a lot of disorders in America, uh, many of them treated by uh, drugs now. And that's uh, good for psychiatrists. That's good for some of us, perhaps, uh, but I don't know how good it is for the rest of us, particularly when those drugs are paid for by uh, various um, insurance programs mandated by uh, by government regulation, which is, I think, a bad idea. Let me explain that a little more clearly. Many states require insurance companies to cover particular maladies or problems or uses of the healthcare system if a company is to offer a health insurance plan within that state. If you're an employer and you want to offer an insurance plan or an employee that wants to choose a particular plan, you can only choose plans that cover all of these mandated benefits. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, I want a simpler or cheaper plan that doesn't cover as much. You're not allowed to say, you know, I don't think the risk to me of this particular problem is very large, and I'm just going to go without insuring it. So, for example, in New Jersey, if you're a man, you have to buy, if you're going to buy health insurance, if health insurance is offered within the state of New Jersey, it must cover a mammogram and a pap smear, even though the odds that you'll be using those services are quite small. Not surprisingly, this system of mandated benefits, which is that list of what benefits are mandated and which ones are not, is flexible. It's under the control of the legislature. So it's not surprisingly, there's a lot of lobbying on behalf of the manufacturers of healthcare devices, of pharmaceutical drugs, and the people who, the practitioners that would either prescribe these medicines or use these, uh, install or, or surgically implant these devices, they're going to lobby to have their device, their treatment, their activity covered. Or, and, and they'll often uh, be successful or not, but the legislature is always ready to listen, compassionate as they are, to require everyone to pay for everyone else's health care. It's a private plan, but the mandates are by the government which is very costly. So, for example, in the state of New Jersey, every health insurance plan offered in the state must cover all of these treatments and maladies. Alcoholism treatment, any willing pharmacy, bone marrow transplants, childhood immunizations, colorectal screening, congenital bleeding disorders, dental anesthesia, dental benefits for the disabled and children under five years old, diabetes, domestic violence injuries, food and food products for metabolic diseases, home health care, infertility treatment, mammograms, maternity without regard to marital status, minimum maternity stay, minimum mastectomy stay, non-steroid infant formula, nursing home care, off-label drug use, out-of-network services, pap smears, pre-existing conditions under certain circumstances, 
prescription drugs, prostate cancer screening, reconstructive breast, reconstructive breast surgery, second medical slash surgical opinions, wellness examinations, and Wilms tumor. I don't know what Wilms tumor is. Don't know how rare it is. But if you are in the state of New Jersey and you offer a health insurance plan, it must cover that. There's one more I didn't list. It's actually number three on the list, biologically based mental illness biologically based mental illness. So if psychiatrists can make the case that intermittent explosive disorder is a biologically based mental illness, then the state of New Jersey and other states as well, I would guess, would require all health insurers to provide the drug free of charge, or at least as part of whatever pharmaceutical package, prescription drug package is being offered. That's good for psychiatrists and Good for the manufacturers of Prozac, for example, uh, which is as uh, sometimes prescribed for intermittent explosive disorder. Prozac happens to be manufactured by Eli Lilly, which just happens to be one of the funders of the study of intermittent explosive disorder written up in the archives of general psychiatry and reported on by almost 400 media outlets. A special thanks to Miranda Hitty at the webmd.com article I referred to earlier for reporting on that important fact. I myself suffer from a rather unusual and extremely rare disorder, the Russell Roberts disorder. This This disorder is described by my unique set of bizarre, normal, peculiar, mainstream, Perfectly acceptable, you can even dress him up and take him out, but only from time to time, offbeat behaviors. And I have a special regimen for coping with this disorder. It includes talking to my wife, playing with my children, religious services, the occasional baseball game, and yes, I confess, the odd beer or glass of single malt scotch so far. I've been able to keep the disorder in abeyance, but I have not been interviewed face-to-face by any psychiatrist, so who knows how healthy I really am. I want to close with a story from the Associated Press report on this study that would be funny if it weren't so sad. Here's the close of the Associated Press story that I read on Yahoo News. Jennifer Hartstein, a psychologist at Montefiore Medical Center in New York, said she had just diagnosed the disorder in a 16-year-old boy. In most situations, he's relatively stable, calm, and very responsible, she said. But in stressful situations at home, he explodes and tears apart his room, throws things at other people to the point that his parents have called the police. Hartstein said the study is important because many people are not aware of the disorder. Not aware of the disorder? Is there any parent of a 16-year-old boy? who is not aware of the peculiar behavior of adolescent boys and sometimes adolescent girls, although according to the study, the onset of intermittent explosive disorder is 13 or 14 for boys and 19 uh, for women. But I think, I I don't um, have any adolescent boys yet, but um, my experience with friends who do said that this kind of behavior is not uncommon. Uh, the yelling and screaming uh, in the room in a stressful situation, and even occasionally throwing things at other people. They have a different name for it, these parents. They don't call it intermittent explosive disorder. They call it puberty. 
uh, and in the case of males, testosterone, I think, is the chemical most heavily involved rather than serotonin. For Econ Talk, I am Russell Roberts. Thank you for listening.